Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. So it's really cool to see as we were praying here, and I love it we come together as family sometimes and seeing the kids in here too, and I love praying together, but seeing all those numbers up there, I know it's kind of overwhelming, right? 2,500 kids that we help feed every year in Africa. I know it just seems like numbers sometimes, but can I encourage you whenever we see numbers like that, can we remember that every number represents a life that it's touched and impacted by you for the kingdom of God? So every time you see these numbers come up, just think of it, man, those are lives impacted, not just a bunch of numbers that's up there. But anyway, today we're gonna do Jonah part eight. So, no, we're not. I had so many people ask about that, we're not doing Jonah, maybe next year. But thank you, Tim Ryan. Uh, today we're doing something different. Some, um, it's called Something Lost, Something Gained. And typically when I get ready for a message, God will give me something, and I have no idea what to call it, to one of the tech guys will come up to me and say, we need a title. I'm like, I don't know. So they'll read my notes and pick a title for me typically and put it up there. But this time, this time, I pick the title. So, because I was driving home one day, and I was just being discouraged, eh? And then God was speaking to me, and he said, you know, something lost, something gained. I'm like, wow, that's not cryptic at all. You know, and where do I go off from that? So I'm going to give you guys a practical step before we even get into the message. So a couple of weeks ago, we have something here called a homeschool group, and twice a month they meet, and we had a Christmas party. And at this Christmas party, it was my wife's idea to have a scavenger hunt. So what we did is we took these puzzle pieces, and we hit all of them across the church. So it was about 100 of them, okay? So kids had to come and find them and so forth. Oh, and by the way, did you guys know when a puzzle says 100 pieces, there's actually not 100 pieces in there? I had no idea, okay, till we start counting the pieces and realized there wasn't 100 pieces in there. So anyway, some little girls who will go unnamed uh, for reasons obvious to you very shortly, they ran around into the auditorium and hit these pieces on the auditorium which is a great idea. Catch is this. They put these in the envelope containers behind your seats. <laughs> so I had to go around with another dad trying to find them, and we could not find a single one, okay? So they're still there. So title of the message, something lost, something gained. If you can find a puzzle piece <laughs> in front of your chair, I will buy you a cinnamon bun next weekend, <laughs> okay? So if you find one, Come to me afterwards, and I will give you a coupon for one, okay? So, and if you have kids here, give it to the kid, okay? But after the service, come see me, and I'll make sure you get one. So, something lost, something gained. <laughs> Let's get started. We're going to go to Philippians 3, and um, it is one of my favorite, favorite passages in Scripture. Also one of the most convicting passages in Scripture, I find. But listen to what it says. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in the view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, by whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. What a powerful passage, especially that one part in the middle there. I count all things to be loss in the view of surpassing value of knowing Christ. I mean, even if we stop there and think about that for a while, like, we can just pause there, meditate on it, and go home, and I think it's a good morning. If we can lay us, set aside the things that we struggle with day to day, like, this is our battle, right? Like Galatians 5 talks about. It's spirit versus flesh. 
It is me and my stuff versus Jesus. Can you imagine if our church, we as Christians, would lay down our things for the, I love how the scripture says it here, for the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Can that be our motivator to move on, saying, Lord, I will lay whatever it is aside. I will lose that so I can gain you more. So, like I said, it's our stuff versus Jesus' stuff, but that's the thing about this world, right? Our world is so loud. There's so many distractions. There's so many things going on. And don't we wish sometimes God would speak a little bit louder? I don't know about you guys, but many times I've prayed, Lord, I can't hear you. Lord, can you speak a bit louder? Can you give me a more obvious sign? But it seems like God likes speaking in a quiet voice. It seems like God loves whispering to us. And this is something I've asked many times, Lord, why is this? Why can't you just respond in a big way? Well, thankfully, we see this in Scripture, too, that it actually happened to somebody named Elijah. And if we go to 1 Kings 18, we see Elijah come there, and it's the story of him calling down fire from heaven when he was praying there, and there was a 450 Baal priests. So you guys all know the story pretty good about it. I'm not going to do too many details, but... Elijah shows up, the Baal priests are there, the Baal priests pray, nothing's happening. Elijah comes and says, let's pour out water and let's see if we can get this thing soaked. Then prays and fire comes down. I mean, talk about a top of a mountain experience, God speaking clearly. It was such a big event that even the unbelievers said, wow, Elijah's God must really be God, right? And then what happens right after that? After Elijah faces 450 priests, after he raised a boy from the dead, after all these big things happened to him, a queen by the name of Jezebel comes and says, I'm going to kill you. And what does Elijah do? He runs away. Like, like you just called down fire from heaven, and you faced 450 priests. No big deal. But really, somebody says we're going to kill you, and you're going to run away? So let's, um, so then after that, he did. He ran away, and he went to Mount Herod. And Mount Herod, you might know by a better name, it's called Mount Sinai. And that's where Elijah was hiding. It was so bad that an angel had come and ministered to him. And as he was there, and by the way, this Mount Sinai is the same mountain where Moses was and God gave him the Ten Commandments. So we're going to pick this up in 1 Kings 19. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served you, Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel has broken their covenant with you, torn down their altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After that, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after that earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was the sound of a gentle whisper. I love this passage. That God shows up in all these big ways, and he wasn't in those. And in the end, he was in that gentle whisper that came out. And again, let's look back at the story of what happened right before. God called down fire, Elijah prayed, and God brought fire down on the altar. The fire consumed the offering, the altar itself, the dirt around it, and soaked up all the water. It was that intense, right? So, but right after that, how easy was it for Elijah to be derailed? Such a big thing that happened in his life, such a big thing you can undeniably say, this is only God. But yet, he was derailed by somebody saying, I'm going to kill you. 
So how can that be? So we're going to look at this, and what I love about this too is how God shows up in a fire, and does it mean that God is not in the fire? Absolutely not. How did God speak through Moses? Through the burning bush, right? But God uses many different ways to speak to us through this, but I love how the gentle whisper comes out. And the gentle whisper succeeds where all the other loud distractions that we've placed in front of ourselves or we've put there for us fails. So this is a place where we have to come, and I love how God comes and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? God doesn't ask to get information. God's asking to give Elijah a hint, to give him a notion of what's going on next. And if you ever come and join us here for the Hearing God seminar, uh, in session four of our Hearing God seminar, we talk about the different ways God speaks to us. And God speaks to us through many ways, the audible voice, dreams and visions, uh, through other people, the word, but he also speaks to us through that still, small voice or that gentle whisper. And I know some of us might say, why does God do this? And I personally think this is the number one way God speaks to us is through that gentle whisper. I would say all of us here, if we would take a survey, that would be the most common way God speaks to us day in and day out is the gentle whisper. And I'm not 100% sure why that is, but if I can just say an assumption I make, I think it's because I like the loud things in this world. I like my phone. I like all these things that's so loud, so I just want God to raise his volume because I am not willing to lay aside the loud things in my life. I'm not willing to lay those things aside to listen to that gentle whisper. So, and the thing is with this, it's to keep us humble. It's to keep us humble to say, Lord, I'm willing to listen to that gentle whisper. Job 26:14 says this, and these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him, then who can understand the thunder of his power? So this comes down to when we trust God to do something. That gentle whisper comes. Yeah, it's not a pillar of fire that comes down, but it takes humility to listen to that gentle whisper and say, Lord, what do you want to do? Even if you hear that gentle whisper and you're second-guessing yourself. Lord, am I actually hearing correctly? but to have a faith to push on with that. So this morning, I actually want to tell you guys a testimony, and it's a story about the gentle whisper. And this is a story I've only told a couple of times. I've told me hearing God, and I've told my at a men's breakfast one time. But it's not one I've really felt free to tell yet until uh, actually we came to this message. So this happened a long time ago. This happened back in 2010. So in 2010, I've been married for two years, I'm still new into the family and stuff, and um, doing things along with my new family. So Er Funk, my father-in-law, uh, he asked me if I want to go bear hunting, because he knows I like bears. It's one of those animals I just find majestic. And coming to Canada, too, is one of the animals I really wanted to see. So he suggested, let's go bear hunting. And I'm like, that's great, let's go do that. No idea the amount of work involved in doing bear hunting. Because I figured we're going to go to the bush, sit down, Bear comes, shoot the bear, and day is done, you know? And it's not like that, like not at all. For those of you who've hunted bears before, it takes prep work. So we go out, we find a spot, and he had some spots already. It's bringing these big drums down there, drilling holes into them, putting in top secret ingredients that I cannot share here. And it's getting the site ready, you know? And we go there week after week. We make sure the drums are still filled with the top secret ingredients. And then the bears will start coming out. And as the bears come out, then one day when we know they're, they're happy there, we'll go wait for them and then get a bear. So it's during the season, and we're going out constantly. And just to give you guys an idea, 
This is way out in the boonies. And when I say way out in the boonies, it is past Woodridge. It is where we go to a road, where the road seems like going to nowhere, and then it just stops. And when that road stops, he still goes with his truck off-roading a little bit, and we get to a place where the truck can't go any further, we unload the quads, and then by quad, we go a couple of miles in the bush yet. Like, it is middle of nowhere. So we get there, and this is a time now, we've done all the baiting, we've checked, next week, we're gonna go hunting. So this is our last checkup. This is our last check to see, are there still bears? Is this gonna be a good time? So we're going out of the quads, and Dad's in front, and he's going, and I'm right behind him trying to keep up, you know, and it's uh, the trails and stuff. And there's one section of a trail that's completely open where it's a chance for me to catch up with him and just go next to him, and we quad next to each other sometimes. And it's at this stage where I remember uh, I see him in front of me, and it's kind of dusty and stuff. And this was May, okay, this is May 2010. So just so you know, I was wearing T-shirt, shorts, and runners. So quadding, and that's not very smart probably, right? But that's what I wore, and we are quadding and stuff. And my father was in front of me, and I started accelerating to catch up to him. And then I remember nothing. So I can't actually continue to tell you the testimony because it will be secondhand. And I actually want to invite my father-in-law up here to tell you the story of what happened after I accelerated. Because as I accelerated, like I said, to this day, I don't remember what happened. So Dad agreed to come up here to tell us the rest of his story. So thank you so much, Dad. Am I on? I'm on. Okay, perfect. Before I get into the rest of the story, um, something Pastor Ray has taught us for many years, that we ask, we listen, and we obey. That is what we do with the Lord in our relationship with him. And I'm going to take you back to a prayer summit uh, back at the end of 2009, I guess, and it was prayer and fasting month, January 2010. And it was then that that still small voice, as I was praying about that and putting a list together of what I was supposed to pray and fast for, I remember a 14-day period within that month. Item number 12 was... Um, sorry. Pray for Martin's health and safety. And I remember thinking, what's wrong with Martin's health? Like, and he's not in danger? But I remember, I went back and checked my journal, and sure enough, it is there. And I remember praying and fasting for Martin's health and his safety. Fast forward to May, the quad trip. From my perspective, I, uh, I remember looking back down the trail, and I was looking back, and I was going, oh, he's way behind. And I was just idling. I was going really slow, and I knew we were coming close to our turnoff to the left. But we had just hit an area, a stretch that was really smooth. It wasn't rough. It was smooth, and you could really go fast. And I remember as I was just going to turn to the left to go into that trail, and I could hear this quad coming full revs, full speed, at a scary speed, and I don't know what he was thinking, but I'm pretty sure he just wanted to go blow past me and laugh at me. I, I don't know what he was doing. That's what son-in-laws do. <laughs> but as I did that turn, 
I can still hear that screaming quad. Boom. You hit me. The quad went so high in the air, and flew up in the air, because he just totally T-boned me from this side. And as that quad flipped up and over, and I can still see Martin hanging on, I can see the quad flipping. And I remember screaming in my mind, Lord, don't let the quad land on him because it's going to kill him. Somehow, in that mess, Martin and the quad separated. He flew around like a rag doll, bounced. There's dust everywhere. Quad was revving on the one side. I ran and turned the quad off. Tipped it right side up because I knew we were going to need it. The dust was really, really thick. And I could see Martin lying lifeless. Lifeless. About 30 steps away. I ran over to him, and he was not breathing. His eyes were closed. He was not breathing. I looked at my cell phone. No service. Zero service. I started running around trying to get service somewhere. I need a helicopter. I can't phone. There's no cell service. I can't leave him here. I was going through my brain. I can't go for help. There's too many bears. Then fear hit me in a really big way. The fear was that he is gone because he's still not breathing. He's not moving. How will I tell my daughter, my wife? How will I tell his parents? Oh, Lord, what do I do? And then finally it hit me. This was a 911 call that only the Lord could answer. Sorry, I get emotional on this one because it's a pretty deep thing for me. But there was still no breath. He was not breathing, not moving. He was so still. <sighs> Excuse me, I gotta breathe a bit here. So I finally, I put my hands on his chest. I got on my knees, I put my hands on his chest. And I cried out to the Lord for mercy. I cried out for a miracle. I cried out for the breath of life. And I begged. And I pleaded. And I wept. I don't think I've ever done that like that before. And then he took a breath. It wasn't a very good breath, but it was a breath. And I kept praying, and his chest started to lift and sink, and lift and sink. He was alive. The Lord brought him back, and I went through that for quite some time. It was lifting and sinking, and I kept praying, and finally his eyes opened. I started to pray for his brain because I could see he was not understanding anything and his internal organs his bones and whatever else I could think of at the time 
I just prayed passionately. After quite a long time, he tried to get up and I held him down. His breathing was still not good. And he started to talk like a little child, like a three-year-old child. Um, this wasn't good. After what seemed like an eternity, he seemed to stabilize somewhat. He knew who, who I was, but he had no idea where we were or why we were there. So after some time, Martin was standing up, and I noticed that his runner was missing. I brought him his runner, and I noticed that his toe was broken off, his one little toe, and I mean, it was hanging there. It was kind of a mess. But he didn't seem to notice at all. In fact, <laughs> I brought him his sneaker, and he just put it on the ground, and I'm like, don't do that, and he goes... I just about passed out. <laughs> yeah, but he did it like there was nothing wrong with a smile on his face. And he was definitely still in shock. So there was no other option to get him out because I just couldn't leave him there and other than to go out with the quads. So I managed to get the quads running. And the only way out was for him to actually drive one out, which was really difficult at in his condition. So uh, I put his quad right behind mine and in first gear we hobbled our way out for about three, four miles. Very slowly, it took a long time. And uh, it seemed like forever. So back at the truck though, he was still talking like a three-year-old. Asking why about everything, talking in a voice that I couldn't understand and it was weird. Uh, he kept asking the same questions over and over and over again. And, uh, yeah. So, I woke up. I remember accelerating. No idea any of this stuff took place. But woke up in Dad's truck saying, Dad, what happened? And he told me what happened, and I said, okay. Okay. I feel okay. I feel fine. Uh, let's go home. <laughs> and... Dad didn't agree, so, but we went home and we, Andrea looked at me once and said, let's go to the hospital. I'm like, oh, I'm fine, don't worry about it. No idea we had a, I think I can only remember the dog, actually we had, and I disliked the dog a lot, so I'm not sure why I remember the dog. But we went to the hospital, we walked in, it's time back here, and I walked in. Uh, my foot was hurting and it's bloody, but we walked in and they said, what happened? I said, ask him. So they asked dad, and they put me in a stretcher, neck brace, put me in an ambulance, rushed me, rushed me to HSC, get to HSC, and as we're there, dad and Andrea followed, and uh, they let me, I'm in there, of course, but then Andrea asked to join me, and they said, no, you can't join him. And Andrea said, listen, I grew up on a farm. I've seen blood. I'm used to seeing bad things like this. This doesn't phase me. Can I please go in? I won't cause trouble. And they let her. So I went through a first ex set of x-rays, and as I went there, they told Andrea, listen, he will not walk out of this normal. He will have some kind of deformity, something will be wrong, so just to prepare you for that. First test they did, no broken bones. No, nothing fractured, no cracked ribs, nothing. The second test, we did an MRI, see what's wrong with my head. Because I was without oxygen for I don't know how long, 
and nothing again. But every test we did, we warned Andrea, don't get your hopes up. Because we had somebody come in weeks prior who wore a helmet, who wasn't going nearly as fast, and he's a paraplegic. And one test after the other, church, because of dad's obedience in listening to that gentle whisper, I have no broken bones, I have nothing, no internal organs damaged. The only thing they could find wrong was two things. I had a bruised hip from where I landed, and I had to amputate my pinky toe, which I put into my shoe. So, <laughs> I'll let you finish that. Yeah, and so the one thing that really stands out to me a lot is uh, when we were all waiting at HSC, and I had an unexplainable joy in my life, or in my heart, I mean, sorry. I was so thankful to the Lord, I could not express it to others, how he could be in surgery, and I am like bouncing off the walls with joy. <laughs> and and, I, and I, I knew the loss of his toe was not good, but I also knew the Lord had spared his life. And I was so thankful. Yeah, we had something that was lost, but something better was found. And the Lord gave him the breath of life. And I just want to praise the name of the Lord. So, thank you. So, why did we tell you the story? Well, one, I want to get my father-in-law up here. So, by the way, Dad, did you do CPR like mouth-to-mouth -mouth when I was there? <laughs> no, just, no, I, no, I didn't. Good, okay, just check. <laughs> I love you, Dad. So with all that said, we love telling stories, right? And I think the reason why I tell the story is a couple of reasons. One, bring glory to God's name for what he did. We can't keep these stories quiet. And I think it's great that we tell stories to one another all the time. But I think the second thing, too, is for you guys to realize here again, something lost, something gained. Yeah, I lost a pinky toe. But you know what I gained? I gain a daily reminder every time I look at my foot to listen to that gentle whisper. Do not ignore something that comes to mind. I was number 12 on dad's list. He could have ignored it. I could have very easily become no number whatsoever. But you know what? Out of obedience, listening to the gentle, small voice, to that whisper, dad was obedient and prayed. And I, and I even asked him this too. He didn't come up to me between January and May saying, hey, how are you doing? Do you feel healthy? Do you feel healthy? Do you feel safe? Huh? Do you feel healthy and safe? He didn't do that. If he would have done that, I would have freaked out. Like, what are we doing here? Is something going to happen in my life? But he took it upon himself and he prayed. And he prayed and he prayed. And in one stage, he forgot. Until that moment came and this happened. So, this is, like Stefan said, Pastor Stefan said earlier too, this is our prayer and fasting month is coming up. If the New Year's coming up, we make all these crazy New Year's resolutions, and it's great that we can do this. So what is prayer and fasting really all about? To make it simple for you this, prayer and fasting is about connecting with God on a deeper level. Prayer and fasting is the time we come together and we say, Lord, I am willing to lose this to gain more of you. Prayer and fasting is a weapon that we can use. And if we look biblically, fasting involves food. And there's so many different ways we can take this as well because in our lives here too, prayer and fasting comes down to this. It's about giving up the thing you seek for satisfaction in order to draw near to God and allow God to satisfy us from now on. So it can be anything in your life that just takes over, becomes that idol that we can push aside. And yes, food is a big part of that as well. 
But I know some of you here, it's hard to, pass, to fast from food because of some medical condition or whatever. But that doesn't limit you that you cannot fast anymore. There are still many other options we can do over this too. But see, fasting is this thing where it comes down to when we have addiction in our life, we have struggles in our life, we just can't overcome something, or there's something we just can't get breakthrough in. This is where prayer and fasting is a weapon that we can use. And it's something in our arsenal that I think we should do. And again, it couples so well with a gentle whisper. So in this time too, as we do the prayer and fasting month, we have to prepare ourselves. And I know tomorrow it technically starts, but I'll just give you another quick story here. Uh, at the beginning of December, uh, my wife got a Jesse tree. And I've never heard of a Jesse tree before, but essentially it's ornaments with God's name on it and then a verse. And she got these and she said, you know what, let's get our hearts ready for Christmas. And I thought, man, what a good idea. So we did that. We, every day we would draw a random name, the kids would draw one, and we would read the scripture verse, and then we'd pray for one another. And it took five minutes. That's it, very quick. But you know what that did for our Christmas? I would say it's one of the best Christmases we've had. Not because of gifts or gatherings, and those were really good too. But our hearts were ready. Our hearts were prepared. We walked into Christmas and we all felt love for one another and we felt that God touched our hearts already. And this is the same way too when it comes to prayer and fasting. We should not just jump in and hope for the best. This is also something we can prepare ourselves. And I think one of the best ways to do this is to come with a heart of humility. James 4, 6, right, talks about God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when you enter into prayer and fasting, I want to encourage you, let's do this from a posture of humility because this is something that I struggle with. And I think all of us, to a degree, struggle with humility in here. So prayer and fasting is actually also one of those things. But if you struggle with this and don't know, how do I get past my pride? Well, let me show you two verses. Ezra 8. Thereby via canal, I proclaimed a fast, so we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children and all our possessions. Also Psalm 35, 13. I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting when my prayers returned to me unanswered. So prayer and fasting comes from a place of humility, but this will also, we can use this and say, Lord, I want a humble heart. And we can take this and say, Lord, can you help me to do this? And again, prayer and fasting doesn't come from a place of pride. It's exactly the opposite of what it's meant for. And if we come to prayer and fasting and say, you know what, I'm gonna do it to show off to everybody else and I can fast 40 days and 40 nights. That's not the heart of fasting. And Jesus warns us about this in Matthew 6. He says, but when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it do not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Fasting comes down to when we do this posture of humility before the Lord. It's not about what anybody else does around you. It's what God's calling you to do. It's what God calls you to do in secret. And it's also not about this big sacrifice we bring before the Lord. This again is about obedience. And again, 1 Samuel 15, we see this. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of fattened lambs. Let this be your encouragement to you today. Obey him. It's not about the act of sacrifice and fasting, but the act of obedience. 
Again, looking at what dad said too. He just fasted and prayed what God brought into his heart. Even though it made no sense. He had no idea why he was supposed to pray for my health and safety. But out of obedience, out of humility, listening to that gentle whisper, that's exactly what he did. And we can see the results today here. But I know some of you might say this, but I'm new at this. I, I don't know where to start. Uh, many years ago, my friend Vashon Penner, uh, we were all in a cell group together, and we were trying fasting out. And we had no idea how to do this, and we were experimenting and stuff, and they were telling us what to do, and we all went and prayed. And you guys know what God told Vashon to fast from? Pepsi. Not food, nothing else, just Pepsi. And I talked to him recently, and I just said, man, how was that? Like, you know, and it's almost like one of those things, Lord, shouldn't I be fasting for more? Isn't there something else I should fast from? No, just Pepsi. And he was obedient. He didn't look at all of us in the cell group and say, oh, I'm gonna take a little bit of that and take a little bit of this. No, he was obedient to God, fasted from Pepsi, and God answered his prayers. So it comes down to that step of obedience and listening to that gentle whisper that we hear from him. So I wanna ask you a couple of what-if questions. I know these are all just, you know, they're just what-ifs, but I want you to listen to these. What if you knew a prayer and fasting could change your marriage and all you had to do was lay down your phone? Lose your phone, gain some more ground in your marriage. Or what if you wanna, you wanna help your kids out? You wanna pray for your kids? Your kids are wayward. What if you know, prayer and fasting will impact your kids if you lay down social media? Lose Facebook, gain your kids. What if God asks you to lay down a couple of meals in your day and pray for your son-in-law. Thanks, Dad. And gain a son-in-law again. What if there's somebody's eternities at stake and God's asking you to lay down Netflix and pray for that person? Lose some Netflix, lose some temporary time on earth on the dot, but gain the line of eternity with that friend in heaven. What if? What if your life, you're feeling, God, I just don't feel you anymore. I pray and it's like my prayers are going against the ceiling and hitting me back. What if God's asking you to lay something in his feet so you can gain more of him? So this is a question I want to ask you. Something lost, something gained. Are we willing, church, to count the things in our lives as rubbish? To see the things that we spend our time in and say, Lord, I am willing to lay these things at your feet so I can gain more of you. Again, Philippians 3 but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so I may gain Christ. So in closing here, we're gonna go into prayer and fasting month very soon. And there's basically there's a challenge I have for you. It's just two simple things, nothing big. And you don't even have to have an answer today, but we're gonna start this today because we have to start somewhere. But in closing here, number one, prepare your heart with a posture of humility. Even if it doesn't make sense. You get this and you pray like, Lord, what should I be praying for? And even if you feel like, man, I struggle so much with pride, maybe fasting and prayer is where you start to deal with that pride. And number two, when you are listening, Lord, I'm ready to lose blank to gain more of Christ. What is that? And I know what God's gonna show you I've already been praying it for myself and God's been giving me some ideas, but I want to close today and just pray this simple prayer with you, that Lord, let it be less of me and more of you.
So what is something I can lay at your feet? So I'm just gonna pray and let God speak to you in this moment and we'll close with that. Jesus, thank you so much we can come to get to know you more. Thank you for giving us a gift like prayer and fasting. Thank you, Lord, as a weapon that we can use. And I thank you for the obedience in this church. So many prayers and prayer and fasting has gone up for where our church is today. So many of our lives, and yes, my life, impacted here, Lord, for what you've done for prayer and fasting. So Jesus, what is something I can lose? What is something I can lay at your feet? What is something, Lord, that I can put aside to gain more of you? Can you speak to us in a word, photo, picture? Whatever it is, Jesus, that we can just lay before you.